0: Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm so glad that you're watching today's message. I believe it'll be a blessing to you. I believe it'll encourage you. It'll strengthen you and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. Enjoy today's message, and I'll see you at the end of the broadcast. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5. Thank you, guys. So Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 15. Before we get into that, so one of the things, many things, that I've been working on outside of what I normally do here, I was writing a new book that was a devotional. And so it comes out later this week, but I thought you guys should know about it before it comes out. You guys okay with me telling you guys about it before it hits everyone else? It's called Jesus, Son of Rahab, a restorative devotional for the canceled and disqualified. And so it's an Advent devotional, it's 24 days, and it takes people and to help them get free from their past, get free from what people said about them in the past, get free from their upbringing, and go into the future God has for them. And so it's being published through Harrison House, and it's available to the rest of the world on Friday, and they can start ordering it then. But if you guys wanna do a pre-order, we put the special link for you within the YouVersion Bible app, but it'll also be at the Faith Chaos afterward. And from one of the things I heard from the team that you guys have been looking for uh, journals, so we did a special limited edition order of journals. Small order, so when it's gone, it's gone but you can pre-order it today at the Faith Kiosk or at the link on the Faith Christian Center website store, and you can get both the journal as well as the devotional before it comes out to everybody else. So let's get to Ephesians chapter five. And so also pray over this devotional over the next couple weeks, because I believe it's gonna reach people who are trapped in their past. I think it's gonna help them go into the future God has for them next year. And so please pray over it. One of the things, I'll get to the message sometime. Uh, and so, has anybody just been angry, not at anybody, but angry at situations and circumstances? Angry that you have to deal with the thing again? So, that was me on Wednesday. I was hot, I was angry, I was irritated at a situation I was dealing with. And First Lady was, you know, just being herself, trying to call me and say, hey, hey, you're okay? I said, I'm angry and I'm irritated. Because I'm dealing with this situation again. And so for some of you now, we will get into a share more about in favor this morning, but just the list of things that we've dealt with in the last 11 months have been nothing short of crazy. We go through details. People like, say, what? That doesn't make sense. It's like, yes, we know it doesn't make sense. But one of the things she said to me as she was encouraging me, she said, all of these things have happened to all of us this year for one purpose, to make you shut up. I refuse to shut up. And as I began to reflect this morning before sharing in favor, I said, I've literally, easily, on a modest estimate, preached to 100,000 people this year. I'm not going to shut up now. We've seen wild testimonies come in, people watching some of these international broadcasts who get healed in their homes. And they start sending testimonies in. And the topics I'm talking about outside of just, you know, normal things I minister to you guys, there's some things to talk about on screen, off screen, talking about let's, let's deal with this race issue. Here's how we go forward as a nation. Talk about politics off the screen. I said, look, you stop being crazy on both sides. We've got to work together for the future of this nation. Things Satan doesn't want talked about. But I'm not going to shut up. And I really believe this devotional is going to help set some people free. And so if you'll pray over it, because I believe there are people who will read it and be encouraged and walk into the future God has for them. Like we're receiving people call in from other, not just other states, but other countries. Like one person called in for another state, and I'm answering emails that are coming in from other places. I said, Pastor Kurt, I need you to call this person back. So Pastor Kurt, being Pastor Kurt, calls them back, gets them on the phone and gets them filled with the Holy Ghost <laughs> over the phone. Amen. That's what's happening. That Maybe we we'll announce this on New Year's Eve. How many people in other states call this church their home? It's not one two three four five six. It keeps going and They watch every single Sunday Either live or via replay. God is doing some amazing things and our best is yet to come So well, why would you share that because Satan will do stuff to keep you from going into your future? Don't let him Ephesians 5 And so one of the things I learned on Wednesday is how to go from anger to thanksgiving. Because it's not a sin to be angry. But you can't stay in anger. And so, like I just shared a moment ago, that, because one of the things I learned from the Psalms is the Psalms, David is a really emotional dude. He wears his emotions on his sleeves. Some of the Psalms start out, he's depressed. Sometimes he's angry. Sometimes he's afraid. But by the end of the psalm, he has victory. And so I've learned to come into the presence of God and process my emotions. The presence of God is not the place where you ignore your emotions, it's the place where you process them. And so go on and say, this is what I'm doing, I'm angry that I'm dealing with this again, God. I'm not angry at anyone, one of the things I also learned is how to shut up in a moment so that I don't say something stupid. And so it's like, well, I'm going to be quiet until I get into the presence of God so I can address the situation. And so now I'm in the presence of God processing this. think, well, because I knew the scriptures rise in my heart. Well, give thanks. Well, for what? For the stupid situation? No, give thanks because he's still the same. He's exactly what I need in this moment. And you can do the same thing. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 reading from a New Living Translation. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. We talked about that last week. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything. We just talked about that. To God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. One of the things we've said about this family series and relationship series so far this life God wants us to live is impossible without the help, guidance, and power of the Holy Spirit. We have to stay full of the Spirit if we're going to enjoy this life and live it successfully. I remember I was listening to a pastor, he was preaching, and he said, People ask us, Are we a spirit filled church? And he says, I hope so. Some days, some Sundays it feels like we are. What was you letting know? That you have to, as the Greek says, be being filled, which means you can be filled one day and running on empty the next. And what's a sign that you're filled? Is it that you have goosebumps? No, the sign that you're filled with the Spirit is you're singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. And so if you're always complaining, you ain't filled. You may have been baptized in the Holy Ghost, but you ain't filled. One of the signs that you are filled with the Spirit is that despite what's going on around you, there's a song rising up in your heart. And see, one of the things about songs rising up in your heart is you begin to sing them and declare them. They have prophetic power to change your circumstance and your situation. Because sometimes you'll tap into the songs of heaven or even tap into the songs that Jesus sings over you. It tells us in Zechariah that he sings over us. Songs of victory, songs of deliverance. But if your first response is always complaining or murmuring, as it talks about under the law, you know when it talks about the people in the wilderness when they murmured? That word murmured doesn't mean just complain. that means they came to a stop and complained. They're supposed to be going to the promised land, but because they ran into something they didn't like, they stopped to complain about it. I don't know about you, but I want to get to my future, not take a complaint break. Come on, churches like us, we love praise breaks. But if we're honest, we take a lot of complaint breaks, too. And so one of the things we've talked about just in this series, you know, I thought this was gonna be just a nice little cute three-week series and tie a little bow on and move on to Christmas, and I'm like, I might not be done yet. <laughs> so last week, first I said, your done?" like, no, I don't think I am, because I remember a few years ago when I did a family series around this time, I had a, a person come up to me in the church and said, "Pastor." Look, this series is great. We already know about Mary and Joseph. Keep it up. Uh, I said, oh, so no Christmas series for y'all. Y'all just want to keep hearing this. They said, yeah, this is what we need. And so we'll see what the Holy Ghost has us talk about next week as we go further into the season. But one of the things we know about family and relationships that before Peter, I mean, Paul addresses this here in Ephesians 5, we've been going over just the list of stuff he said in the first 20 verses. Which if you don't do these first 20 verses, you're not going to be able to do that rest of the chapter. Because all he talks about after this is how to deal with people who live in your home. That's what the context is about. But if you ain't doing all this, you won't be able to deal with that. And so here's some guiding principles, because the first part of the series is called the family circus. and every circus, although there's a lot going on, there's, only, there's usually one person who knows what's going on. It's the ringmaster. And, you know, we're good Christians, so we say, who's supposed to be the ringmaster of our life? Come on, churchy answer. There we go. We say Jesus is Lord, which means he is the supreme in authority, which means we need to do what he says, which means we need to see what he has to say. And so from looking at these things, we see there are some guiding principles that should be in our families and our relationships. And so here are some guiding principles we've just briefly mentioned. We haven't even dived into them fully. Number one, submission to the word of God. Submission to spiritual authority and submission to each other. Number two, holiness should be our conduct. Holiness should be our conduct, our status, our station, our standing. We are the righteous God in Christ Jesus, but our standing should be holiness. As I've said the last two weeks to wake you up, I'll say it again. God has called us to be holy, not whole like. Holiness still applies in 2022. Number three, we need our faith family. Because when you're looking at these instructions for the family, whether it's here in Ephesians or Colossians or in 1 Peter, it's all in the context of a faith community, which lets you know that you're not going to be able to enjoy the benefits of a family God wants you to have without having some other faith people around you. I remember a friend of mine—actually, how many of you read through that red flag devotion by Pastor Paul Dalry? He's a great blessing, great man of God. He got married a year before me. And we're at ORU together, and so we had happened to be in Austin together the same time uh, a couple years later, and I said, well, what advice do you have for me before, you know, I get married? What is something that you learned?" He said, simple. Hang out with other married people. He said, well, that's not deep. No, but married couples need to hang out with other married couples. He went on to explain a few other things about that, but he also said, when you do that, it lets you know that you're not crazy. Because what happens, Satan would love to isolate you and say, it's just you. It's just your husband. It's just your wife. It's just your kids. It's just your parents. But when you get around the other faith families, like, oh, they got issues too, just like you. And see, one of the things, this is why I love that we're a multi-generational church, because you got some people in this church who've already been through some things who know how to encourage you. And look, if you hang around them, they're encouraging you. You might get a good meal out of it too. And if they ask you to set up all their computers at the same time, don't you worry about it. You set up their computers, you set up their phones as you enjoy food and counsel. Well, that's what Titus 2 is about. We need each other. We can't enjoy the life God has for us outside of community. And if we did not know that before, 2020 taught us that we needed each other. Because some of you were shut up at home missing annoying people. Just a few weeks before, it's like, oh, they get on my nerves. I don't want to ever see them again. And then afterwards, it's like, man, I miss seeing so-and-so. Yeah, they got on my nerves, but I miss them right now. We need each other. What does the Bible tell us to do about with annoying people? It says put up with each other. That's what it says. King James, bear with one another. Why? Because somebody's got to put up with you. Number four, humility. Number five, honor. And number six, love. So let's go to 1 Peter 5. Let's dive into some of this today. In the few moments we have left. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 5. Notice the first word here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise. Or in the same way. Peter's use of likewise or in the same way picks up on a concept he shared earlier in his letter regarding submitting to authority. Before he shared about submission, he talked about respect and honor for everyone, respect and honor for those who are in authority, and love for your fellow believers, and reverence for God. So when Peter says likewise, you have to keep all those things in mind. So he says, likewise you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you who who? So that means me too. Say, so that means me. Come on, you online, don't, don't tune off now. At people online, that means you too. All of you online, say, that means me. It's just all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Why? For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, we talked about that last week, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. As we always point out, if there's whom he may devour, there's whom he can't devour. So it says, be clothed with humility. Why? For God resists the proud, but it gives grace to the humble. You know, there's an old saying that your arms are too short in a box with God. And I don't know about you. Maybe you, you want this in your life. I don't want to be resisted by God. I want to receive from God. I want to be helped by God. I don't want to be resisted by God. I want to show you what that looks like. So Pastor Kirk, can you help me? And Ken, can you help me as well? Sam, we messed with Pastor Curt again, I haven't done this in a while, the push-up king right here. He's going to represent our Father God, right? And so while I wanna be walking with him, learning from him, receiving from him, when I decide to not walk in humility, instead of walking with him, I'm now opposed to him. Now, here's what happened, because this is enough drama and issues right here, right? But it says, your enemy is walking about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So while instead of having the help from God, I'm now opposed and resisted by God, there is a lion or one who thinks he's a lion because he's not one who can take me out. Because instead of walking with him I'm now opposed to him and now I'm vulnerable because what lions have to do they try to hide in the tall grass so you don't see it's coming and so now that because you fool of yourself and think you know better than God you're resisting him you're not receiving from him and you're vulnerable and see the thing is Peter is writing to Christians Church people, y'all. And we wonder sometimes why, well, why is Satan always running havoc in somebody's life, and they seem to never give the victory? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because some people are resisting God, even though they come to church. They shout, dance, do backflip, roll around on the carpet, but still resisting. And now they're being devoured. Thank you guys. So it would just make sense, it would behoove us to learn, what does it actually mean to be humble? Because there's a religious definition of being humble that is actually wrong. There's a whole bunch of religiously humble people who get devoured by Satan all the time. So it says to be clothed with humility. The New Living Translation says this way, and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So what is biblical humility? It is humbleness of mind or having a humble opinion about yourself. Biblical humility is humbleness of mind or having a humble opinion about yourself. Well, what is a humble opinion about yourself? It is having an accurate opinion about yourself. A humble opinion of yourself is having an accurate opinion of yourself. Romans 12, 3 says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, there's that phrase again, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So notice it says, don't, it didn't say don't think highly of yourself. Did it say that? No, it says don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. So you should think highly of yourself. Let me say it this way. If you don't think highly of yourself, you're proud. You're going to be in a position where you're resisting God and devoured. If you think too highly of yourself, you're proud. So being humble having humbleness of mind is having an accurate opinion of yourself. How highly should you think about yourself? You should think you're worth dying for. Well, why would we say that? Because Jesus did it. What should you think about yourself? Everything that Bible says you are, that's who you are. For you to say that's not who you are is being proud. So what does it look like to be biblically humble? Matthew 11, verse 29, New Living Translation, says, take my yoke upon you Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart. You will find rest for your souls. So what does it look like being humble and having a humble opinion about yourself? It's acting like Jesus, talking like Jesus, thinking like Jesus. And didn't Jesus walk up in place and said, I'm anointed? He called himself, and it irritated the religious people. I am the son of man. Quoting from the book of Daniel. This is what he said about himself. Now you're just like, well, it's a Jesus, so he can get away with it. But was that too high for him to say about himself? No. Was that who he is? For him to deny that would to be proud. You have to say what God says about you, no matter if people like it or not. Let me go a little bit further. One of the things we see here in other scriptures when it concerns being humble, humility, you see this word gentle in other translation, meekness. Humi- Jesus' example of humility and gentleness or meekness goes together hand in hand, and it goes hand in hand in other scriptures as well. Meekness or gentleness is not weakness. Here's what meekness actually is, according to the Word of God. Meekness is causing a fierce will to submit to a higher way of living. Meekness is causing a fierce will to submit to a higher way of living. The word, this word was also used when I talk about taming wild, ferocious animals. Meekness is taking your strong emotions and desires and lining them up to the Word of God. That you may feel a certain way, but instead of giving in to your feelings, you cause your feelings to line up with the Word of God. That's what meekness is. And you have the fruit of the Spirit, meekness and self control. When you have meekness and self control, that means you can control your emotions, you can control your desires, and you can control your body. See, here's where we get it twisted in this culture. We're like, well, if, if it feels right, or the world says it's right, I should be able to do it. You know, God really just wants me to have my best life. That means He wants me to do what I want to do. That's not what the scripture says. Do not get it twisted. So, oh, you mean that if I have a certain desire that's against the word of God, am I supposed to act on it? No. Didn't that same scripture say, crucify your flesh? What does that mean? Put to death that wrong desire. Put to death that wrong emotion. How do you do that? Through the word. Through walking with the spirit of God. Through having a faith family that keeps you accountable. Because if not, you're just going to As the scripture says, those in this generation or the end times who go have itchy ears. They're looking for something that confirms their sin. So instead of just giving in to everything you feel, compare what you feel to the Word of God. Because how many know your feelings change? How many know your feelings change? Let's talk to the people who get hangry. Anybody else get hangry in here? Anybody else is just wise for you to have snacks with you at all times to help you walk in love with people? How many know your feelings change really quickly? By the time you get hungry, by the time to eat, you were a mess when you were hungry, but now that you're fed, oh, the Lord is good, isn't he? Let's bless the Lord, everybody, oh, my soul. I, I could go back to church again. Your emotions change. So your emotions are not a fair standard of judgment. Because some people, they say it's discernment, but it's really their emotions. Oh, I just had a bad feeling about them. But you just ate a whole bunch of food last night. It wasn't the Holy Ghost, is what you ate. Oh, I just got the gift of the sermon. There's no such thing as the gift of the sermon. You just nosy. People be posting stuff calling it prophetic, and it's actually pathetic. Or petty. Humility is paired with meekness. And if you do not dress yourself with humility and meekness, you will, not submit to the, you will not submit to God. You won't submit to his word, and you will not have the relationships that God wants you to have. Do you know why? Because if you're not clothed in humility and with meekness, you will not see yourself correctly. You will have a distorted view of yourself. So earlier this week, we had, I think this was some type of picture or whatever we had in our house, and we walked by it, and our kids could see our faces kind of like in a distorted way, like a funhouse mirror. And so we looked different, and they thought it was funny. And that's okay, because we know that's not how we actually look. But how many people are making decisions in their everyday life based off a funhouse mirror version of themselves? Oh, I would never do that. Yes, you would, because what that parent said to you while you're little gave you a funhouse mirror. What that coach said about you when you are little gave you a funhouse mirror. That drama, that relationship that you went through that didn't work gave you a funhouse mirror. That divorce you went through gave you a funhouse mirror. What the world has told you has given you a funhouse mirror. All the stuff you've been through has given you all these funhouse mirrors that if you look at that, you will be distorted. And now because that's what you see every day, you make decisions based off of that and now you are walking in pride because you believe what you see more than what you read. And because of your funhouse mirror image of yourself, you are resisting God and being devoured of the devil because you can't see yourself right. So many Christians don't walk in the supernatural because they have a poor image of themselves. And although they hear the truth, they say, yeah, that works for so-and-so, but that can't work for me because my case is special. I've blown it up too much. I've sinned too bad. I've done too many things. Yes, I know Jesus forgives, but he can't forgive me. Pride, because that's exactly the opposite of what God says so what are you saying when you say that that God can't forgive me God can't use me God can't do it in my life you're saying that I know better than God I know who he can use and who he can't use he can use everybody but me pride funhouse mirror devoured and because people have these funhouse mirror images of themselves they don't have a good marriage. Because no matter if that person's trying to love them, they can't see the person they're trying to love. And although they're trying to raise productive kids, instead of passing on generational blessings, they're passing on generational trauma because of how they see themselves. And they're raising kids in their image or the image they see. You won't spend your money right because you can't see yourself right and because you don't see yourself right you'll take a whole different uh, idea of treat yourself and your self-care destroys you instead of actually takes care of you because you can't see yourself right you're looking at everything else for the mirror image but what God said and we've already covered if you do not think highly of yourself you don't have a good image of yourself, and you're in pride. It says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Well, what's too high? When you're looking down on someone to tear them down. Well, when should you look down on someone? To help them up. Your opinion of yourself should be marvelous because that's God's opinion of you. Your opinion of your conduct should be accurate. So how about this? You sin, but you're not a sinner. You're not a sinner. Because the Bible says you are the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. So don't identify as a sinner because you're not. Think about this, before you got saved, you did some good things, but that didn't make you righteous. You were just a sinner who did some good things. But once you got born again, once you got saved, you are the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. Your sin does not change your standing. You are a righteous person who sinned. So what do you do? First John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all, what? Unrighteousness. Once all unrighteousness is gone, what is left? Righteous. First John 2, 1, he is the propitiation of our sins. That means he took your place. And once you confess your sins, ask, once you ask God to forgive you, you stand as pure and as perfect before the presence of God as Jesus Himself, because Jesus paid the price for your sins. But too many Christians don't see themselves that way. Here's one of the things you know we're we working in this community doing even more, that I understand if you've, you're tempted in a certain way and have a certain type of addiction but you're not an addict. You may struggle with alcohol, but you're not an alcoholic. Why? I'm not gonna call you something that Jesus doesn't call you. This may be the sin that so easily besets you, as it says in Hebrews. It says there are some sins that easily beset others. Everybody has a different thing they struggle with, but don't identify with your struggle. Identify with your victory. So many of us, because we've been through so much, we're addicted to the trauma, we're addicted to the drama, and we're addicted to the struggle. And so if we're not struggling, we don't know what's going on, so we create something to struggle about. But that's not who you are. But if you don't see yourself differently, you won't walk in what God has for you. That was one of the problems of the children of Israel in the wilderness. Numbers 13 is right there in my notes. i won't read it for the sake of time. There were 12 spies that went to spy out the land. They came back and said the land is exactly what God said. The fruit is this, the flowing milk and honey, this and that. But there are giants in that land. They lived in great cities, big cities. And we were grasshoppers in our own sight and in their sight as well. We cannot take the land. Joshua and Caleb said, we are more than able to take the land, and the enemy is bread for us. So according to the word of God, what we've talked about in just a few minutes, who had a humble opinion of themselves? Who who was operating in meekness? Not those other 10 spies. But what those 10 other spies say is what most Christians say. We can't do this, we're not able, and we'll put in a song and make us feel spiritual. That's pride. You know, I sh- shared it last week and it's originally I'm paraphrasing something that uh, Sister Kelly Copeland said. It says, every thought has binding potential. You either bind it or it binds you. How many people are bound by thoughts of false humility, thinking that they're doing right by saying all these bad things about themselves? Oh, I'm just some unloly worm. I'm just unworthy. You know, that's a really good religious one. I'm so unworthy. You know, it reminds me when I say that, see, you know, like I remember the Disney movie Hercules. Anybody remember Pain and Panic, the little demons running around Hades? They messed up and did something stupid, and they became worms. Oh, we're so unworthy. That's what a lot of Christians do. And notice there are actually demons who are saying that. Once you made Jesus your Lord, He made you worthy. For you to say you are unworthy of the goodness of God is a slap in the face to the sacrifice of Jesus. So, well, grace means undeserved. Yes, you didn't work for it, but it's yours. You know, I talk about this in the devotion. I said, imagine this on Christmas Day. The family surrounded, loved ones are surrounded, and the passing out gifts, and they come up to this little kid, six-year-old, and they got the gift that they knew they really wanted. And they handed it to the kid, and the kid looks at it. What's your response? You think that they'd be grateful, happy, excited, giddy, opening it up, saying thank you, thank you, thank you, and playing with it immediately. What would you do if that child said, Take it back, I'm not worthy of this? You would look at them and say, What is wrong with you? There was never a question about your worthiness. This is a gift. How many Christians have judged themselves as unworthy of all that God has for them when it was a gift the whole time? What haven't you received because you called yourself unworthy? What have you walked in because you have a funhouse mirror version of yourself? See, James 1 tells us the word of God, because the perfect law of liberty is a mirror. So when you look in a mirror, how many of you looked in the mirror this morning? Hopefully we all did. Well, most of us looked in the mirror this morning. When you look in the mirror, it lets you know some things you may need to adjust. Some stuff you may need to get out your eyes. If you had, like, you just slept hard, you might got some drool off your mouth. There's some stuff that you need to fix. But it also lets you know how you actually look. When we look at the Word of God, we see what we need to fix in our own lives, but we also see who we really are. This is the only thing that can tell me who I really am. Culture cannot define me. What's in my bank account cannot define me. My past cannot define me. What the world says about me can't define me. What defines me? The Word of God. That's what it means to be humble. You humble yourself and you disagree with God. That's what you do. When you humble yourself you agree with God. You agree with what God says about you. If God calls it sin, you call it sin. If God says you're an overcomer, you call yourself an overcomer. If God says to supply all your needs, you say, my God will supply all my needs. Being humble is yielding to what the Word of God says about you, about your situation, and about your behavior. That's being humble. The other stuff is pride. There's a lot of religiously humble people who are full of pride. And it's deception. Because remember, pride personified is Satan himself. Satan is full of pride. And so he gets the world walking in one side of pride, but he'll just join the church and get them walking in another type of pride. And so both are devoured. When God has called you to walk in a supernatural life but you have to see yourself the way God sees you. Joshua and Caleb actually saw themselves as God saw them. And so although the 10 spies and the rest of Israel's unbelief delayed the promise, Joshua and Caleb's life were extended and they walked into the promise. Because remember what they said about 38 years later, as they go into the promised land and years later as they're taking the land, Caleb stood before Joshua and says, I'm just as strong as I was 40 years ago. Not only did God preserve their life, he preserved the energy. They lived for decades after that in the land, enjoying the fruit of the land because they saw themselves correctly. What would happen to your marriage if you finally saw yourself right? How much happier will your kids be if you saw yourself right? How much better will Thanksgiving be if you actually saw yourself right? Because the thing is, you go to so some of you travel for Thanksgiving, you're already ready. It's like, oh, I don't know what Aunt So and So is going to say, Uncle So and So is going to say. I know I gained weight. I don't need them to tell me that. I know I'm still single. I don't need them to tell me that. I know I haven't given any kids yet. I don't need to hear all that. Right? Some of you are already prepping yourself. It's like, I'm ready. I'm ready for the questions. But if you already know who you are, those questions won't even face you. Because you see yourself accurate not in a funhouse mirror. Because when you do that, you humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that God can exalt you in due time. And if you do those things, when you see yourself accurately and yield to God's opinion about yourself, you can take every care, every worry, every anxiety, and cast it upon the Lord because he cares for you. But if you don't see yourself right, you'll carry every care. And you think you should carry it because you messed up. You think you should carry it because you did something stupid. You're just like, oh, I I deserve this. This is my harvest. I sowed a bad seed. True. But why carry something that's not yours to carry? How many of the people of the Bible screwed up royally, yet God forgave them and restored them? I talk about this in the book, and I told you guys about this when we studied the book of Daniel, the story of Manasseh. Manasseh was one of the most wicked and evil kings of Judah. Did horrible things after horrible things after horrible things for decades. And eventually an enemy army comes in and takes him captive. And while he's in prison in a foreign land, he repents. He asked God to forgive him. And you know what? God did it brought him back home, gave him his kingdom back, and it says he realized that God really is God. Sometimes you need to have that reality, Christian, that God really is God. God is bigger than your past. God is bigger than your mistakes. God is bigger than your stupidness. No, I heard it say this way. When God called you, he took your stupidity and factored it in. He's bigger then you're shortcoming. So why don't you believe it? See yourself accurately. Because when you do and yield God's plan for your life and cast every single care, you won't be able to be devoured by the enemy. Yeah, he'll attack. Yeah, you'll feel the impact of the attack. Well, how do you know that? It says we have the shield of faith. We quench every fiery dart. If I had the shield, you know, we mirror that after what one of the Roman shields would have looked like. You hold it in front of you, you know, the fiery dart is quenched. Aren't you glad you ain't on fire? It stops it so you're not punctured. But how many know if arrows are being fired, you feel the impact? You just can't be the Christian who feels the impact and throws down the shield. So like, oh, I can't believe Satan attacked me. I can't believe I went through something. This ain't fair. Ain't you know what happens? You get hit with fiery arrows because you threw down your shield. Keep your shield up. Cast every care, and have an accurate version of yourself, and you'll be clothed in humility, and you can walk the life God has for you. Cause you know what? You see yourself this way. Talk to the single people as I close. Stand up, cause I want to close. I'm gonna try. Stand up, <laughs> single people. If you actually have a right version of yourself, you won't settle. Stand up. You guys stand up. I'm really, I really am trying to close. Help me out here. I know some of you are planning to get on the road. You guys got Thanksgiving plans. I'm I'm trying, I'm doing my best here. But single people this way, if you don't see yourself right, you will date the wrong person every time. You like, well, why, you know, I just keep dating the wrong men. It may not be them. There is a common denominator. And could it be because you don't see yourself right? Are you settling for stuff because you don't see yourself right? You just dating anybody because you don't see yourself right and you're getting lonely because it's cold outside? (laughs) And because you don't see yourself right, you just freely give it up. And now you're dealing with circumstances that you never would have had to because you had a poor self-image. Let me talk to the guys a little bit on here. That's why I have you guys standing up because I'm trying to close. Okay, I'll say it this way, as gently as I can. And it may not be someone in this room, maybe someone watching online. That you're being promiscuous for this one reason someone abused you as a child, and you're trying to prove to yourself that you're not what you feel. You're not what you feel. You're not what they did. And I'll go further. It's not your fault. It's your fight now, but it's not your fault. But if you keep seeing yourself the wrong way, you won't be able to walk in freedom. The image is what keeps you bound. What keeps playing your head is what keeps you bound you keeping people away at an arm distance because you can't let anybody else close because they hurt you, keeps you bound. I was talking along these lines and different things at the barbershop last night that there's so many people who are trapped on the inside because they haven't learned to communicate. And the reason they won't communicate is because they're hurt. And it's generational trauma that's been passed down and passed down and passed down. And instead of getting the help you need, you say, well, all my problems stay in my house. That's why all your problems are in your house you have to learn to get the counseling you need you have to learn how to be part of a faith family you have to learn how to see yourself differently because some people deal with this because you've said it so long you believed it and you said it so long now just attached to your soul and you act that way because you've said it for decades you have to say it differently. You have to say something differently. What you need to say about yourself, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are who God says you are. You have to see yourself differently. Because how many know we just do what we see? Some of you say, well, I'll never grow up and do what my parents did. But you doing the same thing, good and bad. Why? Because it's what you saw. And until you see something different, you will perpetuate what you saw. So you have to see something different. And sometimes you see it because you're around faith family, people who are a little further than the things of God, and you can mirror them. And other things you'll see as you look in the Word of God, and you just get real honest. God, I'll say this way after to I'll say this way. So much I want to say. You know, I was processing some things this summer, and I was listening to this message. I wrote on my whiteboard at home, who do I want to be? I want to be who God saw before the foundation of the world when he envisioned me before he made everything that's who I want to be I want to be who he saw because what he sees what he has for you as he told us in tongues interpretation earlier his plans for your life are good and they're not based on what you did Is based off of His plan, so I beg you, I implore you by the Spirit of God, see yourself differently. See yourself the way He sees you, so you can live the life He has for you. Amen. I believe today's message encourages you, It strengthen you, it's helping you to live the lifestyle of faith. If you're ever in the Metro Atlanta area, we'd love for you to worship with us in person. You can find information about our different locations at FCCGA.com. Also, we have so many different ways where you can get the word. You can download our Faith Plus app. You can also visit us on our social media pages, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube. We'd love for you to connect with us. We also have a podcast on Apple Podcasts, as as well as on Spotify. We have two. One is called The Faith Podcast, and then we have our daily devotional podcast, which is called Faith in the Morning. I look forward to seeing you on many different social media platforms and in person at Faith Christian Center. Thank you so much for tuning in. And remember, something good is going to happen to you today, so expect miracles. God bless.